It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Today, my guest is David Douglas Greenberg. He's a crisis management and business continuity expert. He helps businesses, academic institutions, clients, nonprofits overcome the most unexpected challenges and helps them recover from difficult situations. He has over 30 years of experience in the financial industry. He served as an executive chair and board member on the New York Mercantile Exchange or NYMEX the world's largest physical commodities exchange. He was also part of the team that led the exchange to be reopened after the 9-11 attacks. He played a key role in growing the New York Mercantile Exchange from an $800 million valuation to over a $12 billion valuation, and he was instrumental in its merger with the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in 2008. He is a frequent media commentator and contributor on Bloomberg, Fox Business, CNBC, and other outlets. He is also involved in various philanthropic and educational initiatives. He's a board member of the Junior Achievement Organization of South Florida, the United Negro College Fund of South Florida Leadership Council, the 9-11 Tribute Center, and the Suffield Academy. He also advises and acts as an executive coach to the Florida Panthers. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Quick shout out to HubSpot before we get started. HubSpot has an incredible tool called Sales Hub. If you haven't checked it out now, you got to. Why? Well, you know what time it is. It is sweater weather, football season, Q4. This is the home stretch for your business. It is time to close out another year of growth, another year of business building strong, and to prep for the next year of more revenue, more customers, more deals. To bring in more business this Q4 and beyond, you need sales software that helps you score, and top tools are all inside the new HubSpot Sales Hub. With a customizable prospecting workspace, smart deal management, and AI-powered apps, you can take total control of your sales operation and manage your people, and your pipeline with ease. They've built it and designed it all into an accelerated workflow baked right into your HubSpot CRM. And when you pair Sales Hub with other hubs like HubSpot's Smart CRM, your team will be on the same page across the entire customer journey. Leads don't slip through the cracks. Stop sticking to the same old strategies and start closing more deals because the best time to score is Q4. Make the switch to HubSpot Sales Hub at hubspot.com sales. I think the point, believe it or not, was working for my grandfather when I was 12 at his bagel store because I got paid. And I was like, you know what? You know, he paid me in cash. Yeah. And then I'd go out and buy something. And that's and the I first would, job? And, it would, and Yeah. And I wouldn't have to ask my parents. Yeah, so yeah. So I would save money and I would save cash. And you know what? You found out that getting paid is a really good thing. Getting paid is an awesome thing. And you know what? That got me hungry. And that's what started my whole, you know, I mean, before entrepreneurship. Was yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what it is now. You know, I guess looking back between that and my businesses I did in college and other things, it's like getting paid is really good. 
getting, you know? getting paid is really good. I, I mean, there's nothing to be wrong with making money. I feel like people are scared of it sometimes, to be quite honest. But they are. But you know, I do so much charity work on top of it. Yeah. You know, with you know, which we can talk about with my junior achievements yeah. and my United you know, College funds and all this yeah. other stuff that I do. Um, I believe that you have to even it out. It's important because you know, not only for your mindset, but it's giving back is the most important thing. I teach in all my classes that one kid once said, said to me, he goes, how do you know you made it? You know, what's the number? I go, one. And he goes, what do you mean one? I go, change one person's life. You know, and that, to be honest with you, was better than any dollar I've ever made. But to be able to make the money and change people's lives at the yeah. same time, you know, that's, did you have that's, that mindset your whole life? Like I did. Even you know? when you're hungry, like even when you're young in college, because some people get super selfish. They yeah. get greedy and they're right. like, oh, I'm working my ass off in college I, or not. I'm building a business, right. whatever it is. And like the first version of life for a lot of people is make as much money as humanly possible. And they well, forget I, the other stuff. I was like that, um, especially in the trading days, because every day was a blank P&L and I yeah. only traded my own, own money. So when you only train your own money, it gives you a much different view than someone that trades other people's money. But that's also why I was able to do some of the things that I did. Like my network is so extensive because when I went out with people, they knew there was never an ask. You know, I could never ask. It wasn't like, you know, some of these financial advisors are like, by the end of the night, oh, by the way, yeah. let me look at your portfolio. So I am, you know, I'm a constant area through, you know, some very wealthy people because they know that I don't ask anything. If I'm doing something and they're interested in it, that's great. But you know, early, you know, but early on when I had that hunger, you know, for the money, for making money, yeah, I also always was very, um, very clear about the people around me because you know I grew up in, you know, an average Long Island household. My father, who is a mathematical genius and had skipped three grades, um, was when he found commodities, he was thirty-eight and broke. You know, and you know, and then he just happened to find the best business for his mathematical skills and became chairman of the exchange and one of the biggest silver traders in the world and things like that. But so I grew up in a very, you know, normalized situation as opposed to a lot of the people these days. Yeah. So a lot of people these days, they're in a situation where they're so affluent, you know, that they don't that they lose all respect for for cash. Uh, you know, I think that pe people are affluent, but also there's there's like a fake middle class yes. where you think you have a lot, but in all seriousness, a lot of the things that you're using every day are just uh, they're just cheaper and more accessible. Right. And they're borrowed, by the way. And they're and they're all you borrowed know. and leased and rented and right. the like car I, and the I house. Never, I once I did start doing well, I never had a mortgage. Yeah, you know because people are like well you know I remember one time when I did my first house, she's like. She's like, well, I said, well, I got six or seven, you know, I'm covered. So if something happens, she goes, okay, you got six or seven months of, and I'm like, no, I could do this payment for six or seven years. And she's like, well, why don't you buy a bigger house? I'm like, I don't need a bigger house. And that's the thing. I mean, what I found is that, especially as a trader, that you wanted to always have what you could pay for because you didn't want to ever be in a position that in a bad year, bad month or, yeah. or bad whatever, that your family would have to suffer. That's so um, interesting. So I had a whole lecture on living below the radar. Because I, I know, I, so I watched some of your stuff, and I want I want to go into some of the lectures because there's a really sure. good there's a really good point to bring out. But that's an interesting mindset to have because a lot of people that are in the finance space and traders are in finance. Sure, a lot of them live in debt, massive oh, yeah. amounts of debt, massive. Right. If so you I have like the between the the Robert Kiyosaki rich dad poor dad versus right. like the Dave Ramsey two polar opposites. Right. Where a lot of people in yes, there, yeah. I, I knew one trader that ever <laughs> at the end of every quarter he goes oh, I have to have a good quarter. I'm like why? He says well I have to make my money for my taxes. 
I'm like, what? He goes, well, I spend everything I make the first three quarters. Yeah. I said, what happens if you have a losing quarter? He's like, well, then I'm screwed. You know, but what I always did was every 100000 I took out of my account, I put 40 away for taxes, so I overpaid my tax account. Yeah. I took 30 into savings that I, that I wouldn't touch, and I'd live on that 30. I, you know, I'd, I'd work on that 30. So, you know, I was always, I'm, I was so conservative in what I spent. I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't Super responsible. Live. Yeah, I didn't, you know, it goes back to when, you know, first of all, my, my father taught me, you know, very early on to, be, to respect money. No matter yeah. how much money you have, you got to always respect it. Um, and when I got that, you know, the, that cash from my grandfather and I put it in my cigar box, yeah. right? you know, and then the cash went out, it hurt at the same time. You know, it was felt good that you did it, but you saw that it went in and out. So I was always very conservative. I was a medium sized trader. If I was less conservative, I might've made more trading because I would have been a bigger trader and more comfortable with the risk. However, at the same time, I might've blown it faster yeah i you mean know? there's, there's always I both know, potential i outcomes. know traders that were so big and so wealthy and are so broke right now you know because it was the you know it was about the ten thousand square foot houses and this that yeah. i mean it's a great story that when we went public and a guy came up to me and it was just he was, i hated him you know when my daughter was near me and he goes so you're gonna buy a ferrari so I said, you know, you know what the best thing about being able to buy a Ferrari is? He goes, what? I go, not buying one. <laughs> so then years later, so I ended up looking at an Aston Martin. Yeah. Right? And it was the DB9 convertible, blue and Bentley leather. It was gorgeous. I'm like, I'm not paying that for a car. So about five years later, my friend calls me up. He goes, I found your car. Same car, you know, 100000 you know. And I'm like, I'm not paying 100000 for a used car. He goes, go to the guy's house. I go to the guy's house, and it's this massive estate. You know, you know, equestrian everything. And I walk in, I go, what's the story? He goes, I just caught my wife screwing the equestrian teacher. Oh. He goes, you see that car out there? I'm like, yeah. He goes, it's hers, but it's in my name. <laughs> I just looked at him, I go, how much? So he goes, 70000 if you can get, wire it now and get it off the property. So for that, I bought the car for seventy thousand. I drove for a year and a half. I drove it for eighty. I sold it for eighty-five thousand. It was you know, that's not me, a bad deal to me. That was value. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I was always very, very conservative in my spending. Um, so that you got this from your dad, yeah. your family. Um, walk me through even your career journey a little bit, just to tee it up for listeners. Oh, sure. Uh, like, how did you get in? I know it makes sense. You got into trading now that I know the story of your dad. But right. Not everybody does exactly what the parents do. No, but it was, you know, I clerked a few summers on the trading floor in New yeah. York. And, you know, when you were on the trading floor, I don't know if you know, some of your people are too young to know trading places or that one scene in Ferris Bueller yeah. when everything's gone. But being on the trading floor, I mean, imagine this. I mean, if, you guys, if who's ever listening, just uh, close your eyes for a second and, and think about being in a room that's 25,000 square feet wide and big with no columns, with 40-foot ceilings, with these amazing electronic wall boards all over the place where people are yelling and screaming their brains out all day. And it was it was the biggest rush. And when you walked into that, you know how people talk about energy now and yeah. stuff? I mean, they don't know from energy. When you walked on that trading floor, you know, and if you were in a bad mood, it was great. You'd go and pick a fight with somebody and rip each other apart. And, you know, it was basically, you know, we had a- like It was like therapy. No, it was therapy. It was great. <laughs> it was like therapy. You know? I mean, there were times I wasn't trading well. You know, my father would say, go down, pick a fight with somebody. And then he'd scream, make sure you can win. Yeah. You know, but no, but it was the biggest rush. So once you saw that, you know, I was like, okay, I want to do this. But it was very important for me and my father to separate the two. Separate the two what? Sorry. The family versus uh, okay. business. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and what was interesting is that- so I started off in Chicago when he was in New York. So I started out as a, as a runner, as we were talking about yeah. making, you know, like $3.75 an hour. 
And then I remember the day that the phone clerk got into a fight with the head guy. They fired the phone clerk. They looked at me and said, you are now the phone clerk. I went to the bathroom. I threw up because I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> I, I screwed up every order. You know, I mean, I mean, it's just it probably cost the company more than what my salary would have been. Um, but, you know, it taught me on what it was like to deal with the pressure quickly. And we can yeah. talk about that, you know, yeah. uh, you know, after this. But, you know, being seeing that environment and then you know that, you know, it's like when you have a chance to go to something that exciting, you know, it's either you do it or you don't. Yeah. Because um, some people did it and lasted a week and said, I don't I don't like this. Is that is that changed at all? Like that whole environment? Oh, no, it's gone. It's you know, completely you, gone. You were looking at the only board member in the world that voted against electronic trading. You know, and I voted against it because one, they they lied to the trading floor saying that was going to help them when I knew it was going to put them out of business. I didn't think that the compliance was ready for it. Um, I wasn't lying to the guys on the trading floor because I was one of the floor guys. Uh, and I also was worried about what you see now. There's a clip from me from 2011 on CNBC talking yeah. about uh, high frequency trading. And I remember what I said. I said, if you think a 400 point move is fast now, where do you see it You know, in a few years from now? So what happens now is with the trading, you get these tsunami of order flows coming in each direction. So it's made trading more of a gambling situation rather than a um, strategic you know, uh, situation. Uh, and people are just getting whipped back and forth you know, in these markets. So, uh, but now there's no trading floors left. It's all gone. Um, Does it exist like other places in the world still or no? No, I mean, not really. Even the stock market, you know, they, you know, it's like I did an article after Supersource Sandy with, um, with uh, Charlie Gasparino with Fox. Like they closed the uh, stock market because they said people couldn't get there. You didn't need people to get there. There's only 10 people there anyway. Yeah. You know, they have people come down when they're opening up a new product. So it looks like it's busy. But if you went to the stock market now, you have where I used to be on CNBC, you have that, you know, state, you know, that set yeah. right in the middle. You know, you couldn't have done that back in the day. So, no, there's no trading. Maybe 1% of trading is done, you know, on the trading floor. And I always said those are the guys that really didn't like their wives or their girlfriends. <laughs> they just don't want to be home. No, I, I saw some I saw some clips, and it's just wild. I saw you, like, writing shit down on cards. Oh, yeah, you slow and getting spit on all day, getting smacked in the head. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, so, it was okay, so this is, this is, like, this is, what, what age are you when you're doing this? So I came right out of college. I started in Chicago. Okay. Um, literally like two weeks out. So what was that? And maybe also explain the different types of exchanges because you were one. You were one type of exchange. Yeah, so we you were, were a physical commodities exchange. Yeah. So the physical commodities exchange was the you know, and that's because your dad knew that very well. And well, no, he was actually in the silver side. So there was four different exchanges. Explain this because I, I don't. I don't know this right. as well. And so I think you had it, Comex. Yeah. Well, imagine this table being in yeah. four in the original trading floor. You had one corner was Comex, which was gold, silver, copper. Okay. Another corner, which was the orange juice exchange, which was orange juice, and then you had the coffee, sugar, cocoa which was coffee, sugar, cocoa. And then you had the New York Mercantile Exchange, which was, um, it ended up being gas, natural gas. Um, Understood, okay. And all those things. So we ended up buying COMEX years later, and the, these two exchanges merged. So, you know, there's the stock market, which is for stocks, and commodities, which is for an actual physical commodity. So with my exchange, we ended up, after buying COMEX, um, we ended up being, being the exchange that did, you know, physical commodities, like literal crude oil, literal yeah. heating oil. I mean, one day the, I was in New York and the heating oil broker came to my house to sell me heating oil. So he says, you know, knocks on the door and he says, listen, this is the price. I'm like, hang on for a second. And he goes, what? I call the trading floor. <laughs> I go, no, this is the price. I go, you literally knocked on the wrong person's house. I go, You're not even close, you know. So, um, so, yeah, so that's how that was traded. Understood. Okay. So you do this right at a college. So walk me through career as like, like what's the progression of a trader? 
What's the well, career life of a trader? It depends on how you go in. There's different ways. And, I and why also, just another point you mentioned before, why only your own money? Um, well, you know, for one, you made more. Okay. okay. Too. So in the pit, there were there were floor brokers up. You know, there were floor brokers on the top. Yeah. Think about a ring, with um, and they did they traded some of their corporate money, their money, and they did customer orders. But you know, when you were what we called a local trader, you know, it was like literally you want to talk about the bastion of entrepreneurship. Yeah. Every day you put your money on the line; it was yours, and you know you made it, and what you made, you made, and what you what you lost, you lost. I mean, you know, these you know, I've got no offense to some of my friends that are you know financial advisors, but market goes down a thousand points, they have to call their people up. Well, you had a bad day, but you know they'll still get their commission. Yeah. When I had a bad day. It was my bad day. You know, you want to go home, kick the dog, and, you know, just put your head under the pillow because, you know, that was the kid's college or that was the kid's, you know, you know um, summer camp or whatever. But there was no greater rush. So that's why when I, when I talk to people, the first thing I say when they said they were a trader, I said, did you trade your own money? Because it gives you, I think, a lot of the reasons why I have perspectives in, lives, in life that I do, not only from some of the events that I went through that we'll talk about, was that you couldn't lie to yourself as a trader. Yeah. Okay. You know, the, the thing that really drives people nuts about me, especially when I coach them and some of my friends, I said, you know, this friend of mine, the um, CEO of a billion dollar company, and I walk into his office, he goes, I love this guy. He goes, you always know where you stand, you know, because I don't allow people to live in their little fantasy mm -hmm. because we couldn't. If you were long and the market was long means you want the market going up and the market's going down, you were losing money. You can't lie to yourself. Yeah. Whereas okay. like, you know, you're you're dealing with other people's money. Well then yeah. it's like, oh, just a, hold on. God, yeah. God, I love this. You know, the market's lower, buy more. I'm like, that's adding to a bad position in my mind. Yeah. I mean it's like now what's happening and all these Reddit traders got destroyed. Well, well that's what I'm so curious about because like now I see these people selling investment courses and day trading oh, and for, I just on laugh. YouTube I'm and sorry. all that. I just No, no, I know, but this I, I is just, like this yeah. is the shit that you're dealing with yeah, now. And right? they, and none of them have the experience that I have and, and the people on the trading floor. Yeah. And you know, when they're like, Well, you know, you have to remember you had a, a fifteen year period that every time the market came off, it bounced. Yeah. So everybody's like I, and I would teach in my classes, guys. It doesn't have to bounce. So when they had the whole AMC thing and all the yeah. other things, we're like, oh, buy the dip, buy the dip. Um, I had this one trade. I call it my Publix Pharmacy trade. And I would walk in and my Publix Pharmacist would go, I got, I got diamond hands. I go, what does that mean? He goes, we're never letting go. We're never selling. I go, what are you never selling? He goes, AMC and um, GameStop. So I'm like, okay, good. I go to, I go to my E-Trade account. I sell like 3000 you know, GameStop, you know, he's like, what are you doing? He goes, you can't go short. That's illegal. I go, no, it's not illegal. Number one, I go, one, I'm not going short to bury the company. I'm going short because you're telling me I should buy it. So I go short, market comes off, buy it back, you know, comes in the next day. Oh, you know, and it bounced after I bought it back. So he goes, told you, diamond hands, diamond hands, I'm sell it again. You know, I mean, I, I made a lot of money off my pharmacist because I said, where are you getting this information? And he's like, oh, the guy in the produce. You know, he oh, knows boy. his stuff because he's following some guy on YouTube. He goes, buy every dip. And let me tell you something. You buy every dip, and it's a great way to blow yourself out. And so many people got hurt in the stock market sell-off of the past two years because what happens is that nobody – I teach, you know, in my trading classes and my investing classes that you always – it takes some profit. I love when people say, I don't want to take profit. I want to pay the taxes. And then I call them up and go, well, now you got less taxes. <laughs> you know, so, um, yeah. you know, nobody knows the art of, you know, managing your money within a position. So they buy, buy, buy on the way up and they buy, buy, buy on the way down. So you buy, buy, buy here and then try, hit the top of the triangle and you buy, buy, buy here. And now you're down on this and you're down on this. 
So when people said, you know, stock market was down 20%, you know, the other year, people were down 40%, you know, on some stuff because they, they dollar cost averaged and it didn't work their way. And, you know, we, as I said, there's a difference between adding to a position and adding to a bad position. Mm-hmm. And it's never taught the right way. And people go in and they just screw themselves over. So you got all these people online that, no offense to them, I mean, I'll go against my trading and my, you know, statistics any day against some of these people. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally checked something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution, it's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary. 
for two weeks free. But I, I think it's also because you have these communities pop up from crypto trading. Oh, yeah. And then everyone's an expert overnight. Oh, everybody. Then, I, I, I was on Clubhouse one night and it was 1,200 people in the room. And this guy says, Bitcoin's going to two thousand uh, two hundred fifty thousand and i just went why and didn't say anything else there was silence in the room and he's like what i'm like why well there's only 23 million ah, that's not true anymore you know he's like what do you mean that's not true i said well derivatives and now they're trading on the cme and now they're trading against other currencies as a trader i know the way these things work now you have a natural push on the market it's not just the one-way market anymore and the guy just like but it's going to 250 i know it and I'm like, okay, you know, that's when it went from 60 down to, you know, and people got yeah, crushed on that. Wherever it is now. Yeah, right? 30 something, you know, but so you got, you know, the, the internet um, and Instagram and everything, while it can do a lot of good, can do a lot of harm. Yeah. Um, and you have some people out there um, that are telling some very young generation people uh, some things that I think that are going to really hurt them. As time goes on and i've been deep programming some of my friends kids from this well, i think you have stuff. to i mean so to give you an example of of what i see now i see people that have meme uh meme coin telegram groups right where as a group they buy together because right. they think that somebody's gonna shill and pump i'm pretty sure that's illegal right already right. well yeah it's but, a pump and dump yeah you know? but i mean like there's like groups set up for this shit and they're right. advertising like, come join my group yeah guess what and the guy that says come join my group is selling to everybody that's yeah. buying it yeah so when that thing starts popping up he has the original number yeah right and but no, that but that's that's like malicious there's a lot yeah. of like idiots that aren't malicious as right. well right yeah that's no no there's just some idiots that are just trading stuff that because they think it's going to work but my question is and this is something that the younger generation is just not getting listen to me carefully just not getting the question is it might work now but what's going to work for the next 20 or 30 years okay because everybody's earning potential and their powerful earning years do not last as long as they think they do I know mine did it. I know. I know. I know some really wealthy people, and at, at some given point, unless you happen to have the right product that you know mm -hmm. is ongoing, and you know you, you can do it. But so many of these young, what they call these entrepreneurs, are not really entrepreneurs. They're just getting lucky. Um, and what happens in their thirties when they have a mortgage and a house and two yeah. kids, and they need to go to college, and they're they're unhirable. Uh, and that's what I think that's destructive in in the concept of today, thinking that everybody should be an entrepreneur. I believe that you can be an entrepreneur in somebody else's business. I mean, it's very simple. My, my son wants to open up a fund one day. So what does he do? He ends up going to college that I made him go to that he didn't want to go to. It's another story in itself. He ends up getting a job for this guy, Howard Lutnick, who's the CEO of Karen Fitzgerald. He works for him for three years. Then he goes and become, goes to NYU to get his master's. Then he picked, he got offered some five banks, picks Credit Suisse, not the right bank to pick, but it was a good, it's been a good experience. But he's getting that experience. Yeah. And I said to him, finally, he's 28 years old now. And I said, oh, so maybe when you're 35, you'll open up a fund. He goes, no, I'll wait till I'm 40. I got a lot more to learn. Because what I teach these kids is build a, build a foundation mm -hmm. that you can lean back on for the rest of your life. My daughter, she was a photographer. She graduated Newhouse, you know, up in Syracuse. Great photographer. Great editing. She's like, I'm never going to, this will not be sustainable for the rest of my life because she saw very quickly that people could edit on their phones and this, yeah. that, or whatever. So she ended up getting her law degree. So, and the way that I kind of got her into the mindset of the law degree, because she's really an artist, I said, I'm, I'm partners of a restaurant called Hunt and Fish Club in New York City. It's wild, a great restaurant. And the waiters there are waiters to, to, to pay for their acting career. 
So I said to my daughter, you're, you're a photographer who happens to be a lawyer that's paying for your passion. So you have all these people like, you know, what's the big thing? Go for your passion. Yeah. Well, guess what? Your passion not be, it might not be able to make enough to sustain you for the rest of your life. So sometimes you actually have to get a job to cover your life and your passion. And that's something that I think a lot of people are mixing up. And the question is on this 20-year-old and 30-year-old generation, what's going to happen when they're 40 and 50? Because you know what? I'm, I just turned 59. You got a little more, more tired. You know, yeah. you don't have the energy. You might have the wisdom, but you know, you don't have the energy. So the question that I, I put to some of these people that are doing this, okay, it's great. You're having a blast now. You're living your truth. You know, all those key words that are thrown all over the place. But what are you going to do when the real responsibility kicks in? You know, when it's not just you, you know, and I hope that, you know, people will have a good relationships and they'll, they'll have partners and they'll have wives or husbands or whatever works for them. And then they'll have families and they'll, you know, experience all the greatest things that I did with my kids growing up, which is really where the real rush comes in. Right. But the question is, is that no one's thinking further in the future. Now they're all thinking just immediate today, money. Am now. I happy today? Yeah. You know what? I get the greatest thing that ever happened to you talk about my career. So two of the greatest things that ever happened to me my first two weeks of, of being on the trading floors in chicago my first thing was i went to this guy who was you know the guy i was going to be working for it turned out to be a real mafia guy you know i went there the first day they come back in two weeks they found this friend in the ditch <laughs> like, oh, okay like real real mafia yeah, like real mafia stuff <laughs> so um so i walk into his office and i say to him you know what I'm going to be the best broker you've ever seen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And he's like, David, just sit down and shut the fuck up. You could talk to people back then like yeah. that without them running out of the room being, you know, oh, look what he said. So he says, shut the fuck up, you know? And I'm like, he goes, you see that trading floor out there? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you see how exciting it is? You see the rush that it is? Like, yeah. He goes, one day it's going to be a job. He goes, one day you're going to walk in and you're not going to want to get spit on and you're not going to want to get knocked on the head and you're not going to want to deal with the pressure and you're not going to be feeling well and you are not going to want to do this. He says, but he goes, this will afford you and your family a quite interesting lifestyle. And if you're good at it, you can do a lot of things with this. So if you look at the long term and realize that everything turns into a job, very few people skip their way to work every day. I, I'm envious of the people that do. Mm -hmm. A lot of musicians do, a lot of artists. Do. I love that, you know, if you can do it, great. But the problem is that the majority of the people don't have that, you know? So he gave me that advice. The other piece of advice I got was that there was a guy there, he would look like Rip Van Winkle, you know? I mean, great, you know, red, red, crazy hair. It looked like he'd been there forever. You know, and I was, you know, 20-something-year-old kid, so this guy might have been younger than me now, but who knows, <laughs> right? So he looks at me and he goes, I know who you are. Because I went very quietly because my father was on the board of the other exchanges in New York. And so I wouldn't, you know, just do my own thing because I know who you are. He goes, listen to me. He goes, you're going to have the chance to get into the ring one day. He goes, and when you get into the ring, no one's going to care about who your father is. No one's going to care about where you went to school. They're just going to try to rip your throat out because that's what we do here. He goes, I will never have the chance to get into the ring. He goes, I've been working here for 30 years. I've been a clerk for 30 years. I'll always be a clerk for 30 years. He goes, so I'm going to give you some advice. He goes, watch everything. He goes, watch the people's faces. Watch the people's, how they breathe. Watch how the runner, you know, runs from the desk to the pit. Is he, is he running quickly? Is he running? When the, when the broker, you know, grabs a piece of paper, look at his eyebrow, you know, look to see if that broker is looking at the girl. Did he sleep with her last night? What's going on? You know, I mean, he goes, look at everything and take it in every day, and you'll be a great trader because you'll be able to learn how to process the information. And from that day on, all through life, I look at everything. 
you know, and that's why, you know, we could talk about it too, when I went blind in my right eye and had yeah. my world disappeared, that really screwed me up. So what would happen is I would get, I would put in these interns in New York and I would put them in the middle of the training floor. For two weeks, I wouldn't talk to them. And I would get a call from either them or their parents. Like, oh, my kid's not learning things. I said, really? And I would give this kid the same speech that this guy gave me. And all of a sudden, it opened up his eyes. You know, because if you start looking at life and you start looking at the world, literally everything, every moving part, and you take it all in, you're going to be quicker than everybody. You're going to understand what's, where it's coming. You're going to be able to react faster. You know, I was one of 17 traders that was brought down to Quantico to, to get drilled by the generals because they wanted to know how we thought so quickly with our own money, with that kind of pressure, and being able to screw up. I have a whole class on screwing up. You know, people don't realize that maybe 60% of our trades, 50 to 60 to 70, were losers every day. But if you, if you were upset with your screw-ups, you never, you never could yeah. do anything. So, you know, I, I talk about that. But those were the two things, you know, that this guy says to me, get used to it. It's going to be a job. So there were, and by the end of it, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, but you did it. And, you know, but I still to this day think about that. If I could find that guy with, a, you know, the Rip Van Winkle guy and just thank him for that piece of advice, you know, and that was life changing. Do you feel that, do you feel that that attitude is lost? Yes. In a younger generation? Yeah. Well, the whole grit attitude is lost. You know, yeah. I mean, I remember, I mean, think about what would happen now. Think about the story. There, so when I got moved from being a runner to being a phone clerk, I was up in salary, and I hadn't been paid the difference in the salary in seven weeks. By the way, what what is the salary of of? Oh, a phone clerk back then was seventeen thousand, but it was big coming from where I was making three seventy five. Right. So, but <laughs> yeah. it was big, you know. For yeah. Me it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So I find out the head the head office, and I call what I think is the secretary of the president of the company, and I call the office. And this guy picks up and he's like, hello. And I'm like, hi, I'm just looking. I haven't been paid in seven weeks. So I'd like to you know, find out what's going on. He goes, meet me in the meet me in the lobby of the board of trade at 9 a.m. tomorrow. So I'm like, okay. I'm going over to a little kid and I'm like, all excited. I'm going to get paid. This guy is a little bald guy, right? David Powers. If you're out there, I'm still looking for you. Okay. <laughs> I, I spent nine years on the admissions committee in New York hoping he would show up one day after what he did. Okay, so he calls me in, and I'm in, the, I'm in the lobby, and he gets all these traders around me. And he starts ripping me apart. Who the fuck are you to call me? I'm the general. You're just some peasant here. You don't call me. I mean, he basically set me up to rip me to shreds. Okay. Because and you asked for the salary that, that you got. I deserved, yeah. right? And I mean, he goes, you are nothing. He goes, always remember that. You're just a freaking clerk. You don't talk to brokers that way. You don't ask them things. You just do what you do. Meanwhile, by the time I got back to the other exchange, my phone was ringing. It was my father saying, what the hell did you just do? I'm getting calls from three people in Chicago, you know, that yeah. you just pissed this guy off. I'm like, I just asked for what, I, but you know what I did? I didn't go to HR. I didn't cry. I was like, that sucked. How do I get this guy back in time? Yeah. And I never did. Okay? <laughs> but I sat on the admissions committee for nine years, hoping that this guy would come up and go, you remember that guy that you, you know, I go, well, he does sound like a fucking asshole, but still, <laughs> no, he was. But, but you know what, but traders on the floor and the clerks, we'd rip each other apart all yeah. the time. But you know, the thing is what you're losing in this generation is grit. Yeah. You know, and and it's not just the dealing with shit situations like that. Like even when you're talking about like the sit on the floor for two weeks and do nothing. Right. Everybody needs immediate. Right. Immediate. I need it now. Right. I need I need, you know, input now. I right. need 
teaching now, whatever it is. I need my food now. I need my everything now, right? Sure. It's like the now generation. Yeah, well, or the now or what I like to say, the crystal generation. Yeah. Right. The crystal generation is simple. They look great, but they break easy. And, <laughs> and you know what? I am there to help these kids. You know, I am I'm on the grit, um, grit and patience. Grit and patience. Yeah. Because you know what happens is that anything that comes fast and easy is never lasting. It just in anything. And that's something as you know that I've realized when I was older. And you know, I have a picture that I use in my lectures of me on the first day of the training floor. I'm in my yellow jacket, my clerk jacket, and then I'm in a suit on the right. And my last day on the training floor was a 30-year difference. And I said the kid on the left thought he knew everything. And the guy on the right realized he knows nothing. Mm -hmm. And the more that you understand that you know nothing and every day you're learning, rather than you know what everybody says, well, I know, I know what I'm doing. Like nobody really knows what they're doing. The question is, can they do it without killing themselves or without destroying what they're trying to do? You know, there's, as again, there's unique few, but Instagram and all these other, you know, social media platforms are blowing things up so unrealistically. Like, you know, I was on a friend of mine's boat. It was a 120 foot boat. And then he's got his Bugatti next to his boat. So I take pictures with it. And I, my hashtag was not my boat <laughs> and not my Bugatti. I'm like, how about we all have to post yeah. that it's not ours? Yeah. You know, so what's happening is that you're getting a whole generation that's thinking that, you know, there's always one person or two people that knock the cover off. Well, it happens. It happens all the time. But you don't hear about the thousands of other people that are living in their parents' basement because- Millions. Yeah, millions, millions now. Yeah. Because they they took the time that they had to do, oh, I had to follow my passion. I had to follow this. I have Listen, follow your passion, but give it time. You know, it takes time. It's very hard when you're younger. And this is not an older guy talking. I'm telling you, I screwed up more than anything. You know, I talk, I teach and I mentor off my screw ups, not my successes. You know, because everybody can talk about the successes. It's easy. But how did you get past the hard times? How did you get past when, you know, we'll talk about 9-11 when literally like, you know, like we're working next door to, you know, our, the mortgage outside our building, you know, crazy stuff. And that's what creates success. You know, and and what's happening now is that it's all being bastardized. It's all being it's all being made into if you're not X, then you're then you're a failure. And the whole definition of success is wrong. It's not about I know the most I, I always talk about success has nothing to do with the amount of money that you have, the car you drive or the clothes you wear. You know, success is knowing that when the shit hits the fan, people will turn towards you. Mm. You know, that when when the times are tough that, you know, you are the 3 a.m. phone call, when your kids or your friends have an issue, they can talk to you and know that their talk is secure and that you're not going to be you know posting it or whatever. I've learned that when people lean on you, there is no better compliment. There is no better satisfaction. And that is success, because I know some very well. I know some very wealthy, wealthy people that are not successes. And I know some very some people have no money that are one of the most amazing successes in the world, you know. And then you know I know some you know very wealthy people that have done very well, like you know a friend of mine that owns the Panthers, this guy Vincent Viola, who I you know represent on the Panthers, um, you know worth about three point four billion. Uh, you would never know it. He would walk down the street, he'd be in a pair of jeans and a t-shirt, you know. Uh, Teresa, his wife, you know, no jewelry, no nothing. The kindest people that you've ever met. But there's people that are worth. Oh, nothing. nothing. That and have the, the Ferraris and the, and the whole thing, you know. Yeah. These people are the kindest giving back people I've ever met. And you would never know it because he's a kid from Brooklyn that started off with nothing, you know, and, and did it all on his own. And um, we'll talk about the 9-11 experience that I had yeah. with him. But, um, but it shows that 
people like them show that it can be done with class. It shows it can be done with um, with statute and it can and with compassion. We're just going to take a quick break. Thank the longtime friend and sponsor of the show, the HubSpot Podcast Network. They have incredible podcasts. One of my favorites, one that you have to check out this month is Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew. Now, if you've ever noticed, the smallest changes always seem to have the biggest impact. On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. The point is... Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice from these incredible entrepreneurs, behavioral scientists, and everybody in between. Nudge is fast-paced, but very insightful and a must-listen if you're a podcast fan. Make sure you listen to Nudge wherever you love to get your podcasts. Let's talk about let's talk about some of those setbacks because, like you said, failures failures are what you learn from. Um, you're dealing with lots of money in right. your career. Uh, where you've you've had obviously personal setbacks and not not setbacks like nine eleven, but right. things that you've screwed up. Oh yeah, talk about some of those, some of the biggest screw ups, some of the, and then and also how do you deal with that shit? Okay, well let's talk about some of the screw ups. So we'll talk about my physical screw ups. Yeah, after, so you can talk about after. those too. You know, um, those are outside of your control. Well, to a degree, well, to a degree. <laughs> I'm the one that pulled the hanger. Yeah. So um, oh god. So yeah. <laughs> It's a whole story. Um, so, you know, what happened was, so I wanted to become a board member of MIMAX. It was one of my goals. <clears throat> and um, I remember I was young. I spent a lot of time on the, all the crap committees, you know, and people don't realize that, you know, they're all, they all realize that my kids woke up. I said, you know, there was 15 years or 12, th th 12 to 15 years of stuff that you didn't know I was doing because you were too young. I didn't just wake up one day and be on the board. So I ran for the board for my first time. And I remember I was running against this guy and he had very powerful friends. And they come up to me in the cafeteria and they go, we want you to pull out. You get bullied a lot at work, don't you? Everybody did. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. You know, and then you became the bully. Yeah. You know, so that's why I don't care. You know, yeah. it's like nobody can say anything to us as traders on the floor that will ever insult us because we've called each other every name in the book yeah. and it just didn't matter. <laughs> so, so they're like, uh, you know, well, you got to remember, it was a very tough group down there yeah you know it was bronx brooklyn staten island you know was, don't fuck around uh, no you know and i was a long island kid you know i was i was i was i was easy bait so um they, they said we want you to pull out i'm like i'm not pulling out i'm like you want to hear my platform I'm like yeah. no we don't care they said well we want you to know that you are going to get beaten badly he says but if you take it like a man there'll be a time he said they think we're just too you're just too young but if you get take it like a man and when we're ready we'll we'll support you I get my ass kicked in that election. Like you would, I mean, it was a classic, classic whooping. But I still had to walk down to the trading floor the next day in front of a thousand people after losing that badly. You know, and you're sending letters out, you're making speeches, you're calling every member. Um, so the next year I run and I lose again, you know, but by less. And then the next year I run and I lose by four votes, hmm. you know. And then next year I run. And I end up winning and then I win four consecutive terms, you know, and end up being on the executive committee. So, you know, I could have taken those losses and been embarrassed by them. I could have taken those losses and said, I can't do this. I didn't take those losses. I take those losses as educational experiences. And if you can take a loss or a setback like that, and listen, you got to walk in. And I got very good at saying hello to people the next day is to be able to read them to see if they really voted for me or not. And I could tell if they didn't, then I worked on them for the next year. And I had worked on it for an entire year for that one election period. So what it really taught me was, you know, that 
when you get your ass kicked, you know, when I was a C student, you know, so I got my ass kicked a lot. You know, the joke is, you know, be nice to the C students because they'll be your boss one day. You know, because some of the A students, no offense to the A students out there, but it's just read, write, regurgitate. But when you have a B and C student that, you know, failed or this, that or whatever, and then had to go and tell their parents and show them the report card or if the progress report didn't get pulled out of the mailbox in time yeah. you know, during those days, um, that, you know, we learned what it was like to learn how to fail and get back up and fail and, you know, have to show up or have to look at people in the face after. That is the greatest gift that anybody can give you, you know, and and that setback of of running for the board and still coming down to the training floor and having to be there, I think was one of the best experiences of my life. What what happened to you? You said like other things outside of like career, like physical. Well, you know, a lot of setbacks. Yeah, well, setbacks. Um, so I always had autoimmune issues. And then, you know, I'm a 9-11 survivor. We were there that day and we, we can go over that. In I want to get into that after this. Yeah. yeah. But um, so that got worse. So I have terrible body pain. So I'm in pain all the time. And what made it worse was then one day I'm out at a restaurant and I wore hard contacts since I always had a problem with my right eye. And but at the same time, I was fully right. eye dominant from an issue I had with a kid. So I'd always have some I always had some eye issues. I put my finger in a glass of water. I put some water in my eye. It turns out there was bacteria in the water. I had a cut and an ulcer on my eye. I got a massive bacterial infection. I was in my basement for two months. I couldn't function because it was, the pain was so bad from any kind of light. Then when that cleared up, I had to get a cornea transplant. So I get a cornea transplant and I take my shield off that morning and I can read a Lubriderm bottle. I'm like, oh, this is freaking great. I'm like so excited. I walk into my closet. Uh, there's a t-shirt that's hanging up. I pull the t-shirt off the hanger. The hanger spins around, snaps, hits me right in the eye. Okay. I end up catching because things were coming out, you know, with my t-shirt, calling downstairs to my wife at the time. They couldn't hear me. My son was going out for a lacrosse game. I ended up throwing my body on the floor because I knew, I realized that the garage was underneath my, where my closet was. They heard the house shake. You know, they come running upstairs. They take me to the doctor. Um, I end up having the cornea they found underneath the lid, the, the, my lens they found in the bathroom the next day. And then I had a 10 or eight or 10 year period, eight year period where I had nine retina tears and I slowly went blind painfully to the point where, because they hit a couple of nerves um, for, for about eight and a half years or nine years. And that put me to my knees. And I'm just recently in the last year or two, um, thanks to some um, work that I did and, and some one of the eye doctors, this guy, Dr. Dan from the Panthers, that helped me start using my left eye and uh, processing everything better. Um, so, you know, you get your ass kicked like that. So then I had my physical pain from 9-11, yeah. my, my eye pain, I gained 70 pounds or 80 pounds. I just lost the 70 pounds this year, you know, in the past year and a half. Um, but this is what I talk to when I lecture and when I coach is that, you know, when you're brought down to your knees, you know, there's going to be a time where you're going to be down there. There's a bit about, oh, you got to get right up. It, sometimes it takes a little. Well, time. because you know what? Everybody who's everybody who, you know, teaches over entrepreneurial right. resistance, grit, perseverance, a lot of them have no physical issues right right they yeah. just they're fine they're young they're healthy yeah. and it's already tough enough right it's already tough enough if god forbid you have eight years of debilitating eye pain right you have chronic right. physical pain right and you're going and, and you still have to show up and you still have to show up and right. you have to operate at an exceptionally high level right 
like when I would go on CNBC, especially after the eye issue and, and Fox and the lights were there. I mean, it was literally almost bringing me down to my knees because before I went fully blind, my pupil was stuck open. So the light sensitivity was just, and I'd be sitting there in those interviews and, you know, you sometimes just see my head tilt a little bit or whatever. I would get off and, you know, I was, you know, I was on painkillers at the time just to handle it and things like that. Yeah. And, and even not getting addicted to the painkillers was, was a feat, you know, because, you know, when you're in that kind of pain for that long, you know, you tend to, you know, people tend to have problems. And I remember when I was with my pain management doctor one day, he says, well, either you got to go up or get off because it wasn't working. I said, I'll get off. And he's like, what? <laughs> Nobody gets off, you know, and I slowly got off and, and dealt with it. And, you know, and then when I fully went blind about two years ago is when the headaches really started subsiding because the eyes stopped fighting each other all day. But when you have that kind of pain and still have to show up for speeches and still have to show up for lectures and, yeah. and you know, make it look like nothing's bothering you, yeah. um, it really shows you what real backbone and grit is. And that's why, you know, when I, when I talk to the students or when I coach, you know, with my coaching clients, you know, I'm the guy that just tells it like it is. You know, if you want a coach that sits there and just massages you and tells you how frigging great you are all the time, I am not the guy. You know, you want a coach that's going to say, okay, let's look at this for what it is. Let's look at reality. And it might hurt, you know, and you might not like what you see and you might not like what you hear, but I will guarantee you once we work through this, you know, that you will not only be a better individual, you'll be a better human being, you'll work better, you'll be a better family person, you'll be a better, you know, thinker um, because you're seeing the world for what it is. Because uh, we, we all know when you stop seeing the world for what it is, um, you end up getting beat all the time. Yeah. Oh, I think I think that uh, I, I'm curious with the people that you work with right now, how delusional they are about their career, about their business. Not so much delusional. Some of the parents, when they ask me to speak to their kids, you know, are they're pretty they can be a little bit um, not looking at life the way it should be. But by the time I'm yeah. finished with them, they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, when I talk to them about building that foundation to take your time and I explain to them, if you take your time and you build that foundation um, in 10, 15, 20 years from now, you're going to be just, you're going to be rocking with all these other people. Yeah. Like now what? Well, I, I'm a huge, I, I, I've said this before. I, I do believe that if you take 10 years to build anything and not just build it blindly and not iterate and not learn, but if you progressively learn, right. build feedback loops for 10 years in anything that you're doing, anything. you're going to achieve some measure of success. Right. And if you don't achieve a measure of success of being your own boss or your own company, yeah. And every, you know, listen, there's something to be said about being your own boss in your own company. There's also something to be said about walking out and not having to worry about things. Also true, know? yeah. And, you know, like somebody that I know that was his, uh, boss of his own company said, no one ever told me that I was going to have to worry about all this stuff. I'm like, yeah. I said, you know, it's more than just the ego of saying that you're CEO. Um, but, you know, you, you, you build that foundation over 10, 15 years. And it, people forget, you're, if you're lucky, by the way, as I learned in life, you'll get older. Not everybody's guaranteed to get older. That's another thing people have to realize. So if you're lucky enough to age and to get older and you're going to be in your 50s and your 60s, which when I was in my 20s looked ancient, right? Um, but if you, if you realize that there's a long runway in front of you, you have to prepare for that long runway. If not, you're going to have this great little runway here for 20 years of your life. And then you could spend 50 years of your life saying, now what? Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's where some of the younger generation is missing the point, you know? And I, it's like, somebody says to me, well, what are you doing to work out? Blah, blah, blah. And you should try this suit. You put it on for 20 minutes and build it up and this, that, or whatever. And I go, no, 
go, well, you should try it. I'm like, no. They're like, why? I said, because I made a decision. And they're like, what's the decision? I said, I will only do health-wise what I know I can do forever. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that suit forever. I'm not going to do X, Y, Z. So know? why would it be different with your career, with your with your personal relationships? Like that right. should be the goal going into no, it everything, should be the right? Goal. Right. That it, what can you do for the long term? And the real question is, is that, and you know, I, I told you I sit on the bo- a lot of boards, and I'm the guy that says your baby's ugly if your yeah. baby's ugly. And and the problem is, is that sometimes just because you have an idea, and it could be a great idea, it doesn't mean it's the right thing for you to do. It could be a side, you know, a side hustle. It could be something that you're doing, and if it then takes on. But you know, people, this whole bit that people have right now, where they have to be CEO of their own company, and I love it when I meet someone. I'm CEO of my own company. Here's my car. I'm like, oh yeah, what is it? I'm pre-revenue. And my, <laughs> and my best friend, my best friend's the CIO, and this, this. I'm like, what do you do? He goes, well, we're we're you know figuring Web3, out three blockchain yeah, AI yeah. machine learning. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, guess what? You are not going to compete with you know. I was just in this conference in uh, in France, women in tech. And, you know, a friend of mine is a deputy director of innovation for an uh, investment for NASA. So I'm seeing some stuff that I am telling you right now, okay, that the companies out there are so far ahead of the game that, you know, go work for one of those companies. Go work for one of those companies for 10 years. Learn everything that they know. And then if you figure out a new spinoff of that, good for you. Yeah. But, you know, which, by the way, is the highest rate of success for an entrepreneur. You work in an industry for 10 plus years and, right. then, you and then solve you, a problem. Yeah, right. You solve a problem. Then you go, wait a minute. Now I've got all this massive information. Yeah. OK. And I can do X. And that's where this whole entrepreneurship journey has been flipped on its ass. Yeah. You know, everybody's like, you're 20. Do it now because now is the time to do it. I'm like, bullshit. Now is the time for you to learn. And why not learn from people that have do, that are doing it and can give you the best resources possible? Would you rather be in your basement trying to learn something and do something, or you rather work for one of these major mega companies? Okay, and a lot of people give me pushback, you know, on this, but I'm sorry. Okay, I you know work for a major company, learn everything there is. I tell people that go in like you own the place. I go not with the attitude that you own the place, but go in and say, okay, this just happened. If I owned it, how would I have handled this? If this top person walked out on me today. How am I going to replace that person? And by the way, what intellectual property did this guy just take with him? Mm-hmm. What? How am I going to? Uh, am I going to have to sue? Am I have to do this? So I said, if you're a young kid, and and it's so funny, I talked to my son and some other people. I'm like, well, what are what's going to happen if I do this for ten years? I go, you'll be thirty-five. <laughs> young as hell, anyway. Right. I'm like, yeah, you'll be thirty-five. You, if you do this from twenty-five to thirty-five for ten years and amass all that knowledge. You know, I mean, by the time I was 40, I was on the executive committee of the world's largest exchange. I had turned down the vice chairmanship of the exchange. I had learned everything about the business, thanks to that one guy that told me to learn everything every day. And it put me in a position that, you know, there's so much that I could do with that. But if, you know, and then there were traders that just went to the trading floor, they traded all day and they left when the bell rang. Well, there was nothing for them to do after that. You know, but I looked at the trading floor and I learned at the board and, and all the committees as my school. And it, going back to what we said, work for somebody for 10 years. There's no, there's no shame in that. No. You know? And not only that, what they're going to find, they're going to do a study in 20 or 30 years from now. They go, they're going to find, I think like what you said, that all the people that spent the time to build the foundation mm-hmm. was patient, okay, ended up here. And all those entrepreneurs from Instagram are down here. And then, you know, we have a whole new section of people like, how are we going to take care of them? Yeah. Um, because it just, it's just not sustainable. 
and people don't look at sustainability anymore. And what I've seen is that, like, you know, when I was younger, there was a company called Woolworths and Gimbals. You know, one thing I noticed that every company that I thought that could never possibly go out of business, they went out of business. Apple could go out of business one day. There's, there's, there's a chance that, you know, that slim, but it's possible. Some other new co comes out from China or whatever and does everything that Apple does at like one hundredth of the cost. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden people are like, well, no, we're going to go there. And kids growing up on products today that they know and love and that they think that are invincible, they're going to find out. It doesn't work that way. Um, tell me, tell me about 9-11. What happened? Uh, like, how did this impact you? Because you were, like you said, you were down this road, around the corner, yeah. a block over. What happened? Well, you know, everyone has their own 9-11 story. Yeah. You know, and what I always talk about is that, you know, it's like if you, sh if you throw a, 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 a stone into a calm pond and you see the ripples, imagine where the stone lands as the towers and the ripples are every street every state, mm -hmm. every country, you know, coming out. So my story is that I had um, invented a uh, trader's breakfast club. Uh, you know, you paid a certain fee. You got free breakfast every every day at Windows of the World. And it was awesome. You would start off your day. You would be looking at the Brooklyn Bridge. You'd have in your bagels and locks or whatever you want, reading the Wall Street Journal, which was very, very civilized, knowing that you're going to go down and get screamed at, spit on it, and your head and smacked all day. So I was going up for breakfast, and I parked in the South Tower, uh, and there was an issue where there was something going on with the local, the, the express elevator. And they're like, you got to take the local. I'm like, I'm not taking the local. You got to get off it. I think it was 56 crossover. Then we'll go up there and like, screw that. So I leave the building across the street and the plane hits. So everybody I was going to meet for breakfast, you know, died. Another six people that cleared through my clearinghouse were there for a meeting. They died. We lost about, I think, 27 people. So. So I'm in my office and the first plane hits and, you know, my father calls me and he says, they think of the Cessna hit the World Trade Center. So I go, hang on for a second. I go into the office next door to me. I come running back. I go, if that's a Cessna, it's terrorism. There's like 10 floors missing, yeah. you know, or 12 floors missing. And then, you know, then the reports come and then he calls me back. And I've never, my father's never panicked a day in his life. And he starts screaming, get them out of the building. They show the other plane coming over. Yeah. And if you see it, it goes right over our building. Because you had our building, Merrill Lynch, American Express, the World Trade Center. So then we started evacuating our building. Um, and then we ended up closing the trading floor as the first building, you know, we, we realized we, we're not going to reopen. The first building falls. We're down there. We're like running in front of the smoke, the whole yeah. bit up West Side Highway. Luckily, the smoke didn't catch up to me because I was a little bit of a head start. Um, and then this guy, Vincent Viola, who was chairman of the exchange, he was 45 years old. I look at it now and imagine getting this phone call from the White House saying, um, world energy prices are going crazy. We need to figure out a way to reopen. So we didn't even know if the building was still standing. He got that phone call as that the night. right that, after no, the first. Oh, that night. That night. OK, yeah. OK. So this so, this is like peak 9-11. Oh, that no night. one's flying anywhere. No this one's is flying. Like, no one can show, get no anywhere. No one knows what's going on. Yeah. Oil prices are going crazy. So, they got to call that night. Yeah, no, you got to call wow. that night from, from the White House saying, listen, we have to stabilize world oil prices. And I was on the board at that time. So with this guy, Richie Schaefer um, and Stu Smith, and I always say their names because I give them the credit for doing this. We do an emergency board meeting. We were able to get phone lines, you know, attached. And we do a, a phone, you know, it's first offsite meeting, you know, yeah. uh, compared to what COVID is now. You know, we didn't yeah. have Zoom back then and all these other things. Um, and they go down, they walk 65 blocks down to the World Trade Center to see if our building's still standing. And it turns out our building was blocked from American Express and Merrill Lynch. And, you know, it was a mess, but it was still standing. So, Vinny, we end up 
going to the Palace Hotel at the time, and we had all the board members there, and Vinny, who's a West Point graduate um, and an Army Ranger, he ends up running this like a military operation. He puts me, you know that guy that I, they told me not to run against? Yeah. Okay, that beat me? Yeah. He put me with him. We hated each other. He says, you guys hate each other. I don't care. You guys are good at this one thing that I want you to do. Figure it out, work it out, just okay. do it, right? So he really taught me a lot about leadership under pressure and, and under stress and strategic leadership. And you know, by his leadership and by the, the board doing what they did between laying lines, Vinny was up on the roof and there's uh, you know five inches of heating oil by his ankles because for the generators and all this other stuff. And because all our telecommunications were in the World Trade Center, so we had to redo everything. And we were the first exchange to reopen. I'm on that Tuesday. And we were secretly open in 9-11 for three months. Um, so the building was burning outside. It, the smell was terrible. The morgue was outside our building. And what I, what I arranged was with the ferry service was to pick up about 1,000 people every day, first thing in the morning on 34th Street, bring them down the river, up into the building. We had the, build, we had the building you know, corded off. You know, um, People had to stay in the building on a four-hour trading day, got them out of the building, and then went back up. Um, and, wow. you know, so, but we were the first exchange to reopen and it was quite an experience, but it showed that even in the face, and that's somewhere some of my illness came from because they said the air quality, of course, yeah, know, yeah, you know, you learn with the government and I said this in the beginning of COVID, they do their best guess and they're not really trying to be as nefarious as everybody thinks they are, but they, we had the things outside the building and the spinners and oh yeah, the EPA, we literally have the memos, the EPA comes out that the air quality is fine. Well, the air quality is not fine. It's not fine. Uh, which, if you really had a brain, and we weren't so, and we weren't so in shock um, by the smell alone, you would have known that, you know. And then walking out every day and this dusting, this white yeah. dusting on everything. So yeah, so you know, thanks to Vinny and, and an amazing board that he had around, which I was just one of many. Uh, we got the exchange up and going, and we brought all the traders. And I give a lot of the credit to the traders and the staff and the support um, people of NYMEX. Because without the support people and the traders and the clerks and everything else who left their families, you know, a week later to come back down to ground zero, when the smoke was there, the fire was there for three months. So we watched, we would watch these pieces that were being taken out that were just glowing, you know, because the heat, you know, was so strong. And um, I was one of five people uh, that had a pass from the mayor to leave the vicinity and go right up to, you know, where the towers were. Kind of wish I didn't have that past now. Um, yeah. But the things that you saw, but what you realize is that you never looked up at the wreckage. It was flat because everything was just turned to dust. You know, one of the firemen said that he's never seen concrete turn back to its original form. You know, and then like about a year later, a friend of mine called me up. She was so excited. They found a bone fragment of her father. And they literally buried the bone fragment. I mean, we went, I went to 17 or 18 funerals and it was... But that was a huge definition of my life because first, before what happened there is that my mother at 55, when I was in my 30s, now I'm 59, she really looks young, um, she came down with lung cancer as a non-smoker and she died just on her 56th birthday. So here it is that my mother passed away you know, early, my friends died early, then I have the eye issue. So you know, I always say that I am looking through at the world more clearly through one eye than I ever did with two. Yeah, you've gone through you a know? lot. So, but there was two ways I could do it. I could either gone through a lot and I could just let it beat the shit out of me, become a victim, right? Or I could go through all this and say, how can I make a difference? How can I take all this that I've learned, yeah, you know, and all this strength that I've gotten from this, 
and make a p difference in people's lives. And we do that by, I'm on the board of Junior Achievements where we see uh, 70,000 Broward County kids a year for uh, workforce development and financial literacy. Um, I said I do a lot of charity work. I do, you know, the mentoring. A lot of young kids, I don't, I don't charge at all for their mentoring. I mean, there's, you know, there are some kids said to me, "How do we pay you?" I said, "When you're 75, tell your grandkids you met some guy that made a difference." <laughs> and don't even worry about remembering my name. You know, just that's not what I want. Um, but what do you learn through those experiences when you are in? I said this to somebody the other day. When you walk in, when I walked in, I walked into my mother. She was still alive. I whispered into her ear, "It was time to go." I walked back out. Her husband at the time calls me back in. A minute later, she was she was gone. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. And when you feel the pain of death to that extreme where it is brings you to your knees from someone that died in a timely death. And then when you watch those buildings go down and know and at the time, I thought there were a lot more people in there, but whether it was one or, you know, 50,000 and you feel that kind of pain. And then the pain that I was in physically, emotionally and headache wise, when you've dealt with the kind of pain levels I have, you realize how great not being in pain is. And you realize how, how you realize that life is 
fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I've gotten into some arguments with people at dinner that they'll go, growing old sucks. I'm wrong person to say that in front of. <laughs> I'm like, no. I go, growing old can be painful. It can be frustrating. It can be exhausting. It can be a whole lot of things. I said, dying sucks. So once you realize that and you've seen death the way that I have, it opens up a whole new vast way of looking at the world. You know, it looks at like I can find joy in almost anything. You know, I can go, you know, I tell people and somebody's like, oh, I want to go see this. I might not want to go see it, but I want to spend time with that person. I'll enjoy seeing that person being happy and I don't have to enjoy the event as much as that person did, but I'll enjoy the enjoyment of them. So those things have such defined me in such a unique way and being in pain and then coming out of the eye pain. Um, I call it being pulled out of the matrix. You know, I kind of see the world for, for what it is now, both good and bad. Uh, but that's what the, that's why, you know, in my coaching and in other areas, I just tell it like it is, you know, and people find that it's very refreshing, it might be a little painful at times. Uh, but it's like what I said, if you want somebody to really pull you through to the next level, well, I'm your guy. If you want somebody to pat you on the back and tell you how great you are just for showing up, wrong person. Is that, is that, has the life you lived impacted how you look at work? Yes. Um, but not in a way that a lot of people think that work less and enjoy life more. Okay. I think that's a work-life balance is an, an important. Um, I was very lucky that, and not that many people are, the exchange closed pre-9-11 at basically 3.30. So even with the committee work and everything else, I was out at a relatively early hour, except for the fact that the markets were open all night and you were kind of freaked out about that. But I tell this story. It's a funny story when I said to my, my son, you know, very few fathers have done for their kid what I've done for you. So what happened was, is that, and this is another thing people have to learn. When you're working for a company, learn everything about the culture. Learn how they work, how they do things, how they put things off, how they procrastinate. Learn everything. So we're in a board meeting because Goldman Sachs stole our boats after a month of us using them in 9-11. They offered them twice as much as what we were going to pay. So we had to have all, everybody walk through ground zero every night to get to the closest subway. So we're at this meeting and the chairman and the vice chairman say, we're going to do a temporary close of 2.30. You know, this way, nobody has to walk in the dark through 9-11. Now I sit there and I'm like, well, I just came back from London because I, I, I did the international expansion. And I'm like, you know, the guys in London would really like to get home an hour earlier. And you know what? Condensing the trading floor day would be good. And why don't we take out the word temporary? Because I knew they never revisited anything. Yeah. You know, so we take the word temporary out. And I say it this way because I knew... I, didn't, I wasn't worried about London or anything else. I just knew that my son was a big lacrosse player. And if I got out of 2.30, I could make every one of his games. So, so I say to him, let's take the word temporary out. And to this day, crude oil still closes at 2.30 in the afternoon. That's when the closing bell is. That's so fucking funny. You know? But it goes back to what I talk about. Like, you know, NYMEX politics was a contact sport. And if you could work your way through the NYMEX politics system, you really know how to work your way through a corporation. And people need to understand, like it or not, there's politics everywhere. And what I do with, um, with mid-level employees and even CEOs and things like that, I, I, we work with how to deal with the politics. Now, politics, it's a landmine now that's it's never been this bad. You know, because God forbid you look at somebody the wrong way, you say something the wrong way. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like what I tell some of these younger people, I go, sometimes your boss is just having a bad day. You know, and, you know, I don't like the way he looked at me. I didn't like this tone. I'm like, that's where the grit comes in. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can either go home and cry about it or say, okay, what did, and by the way, if you didn't hand the project in the first three times wrong, he might not have been, or she might not have been mad at you. Yeah. To begin with. 
So it's a very hard navigation that, that a lot of these people are doing now. But but 9-11 and my mom and the pain that I was in completely redefined how I look at life and work. Like you have to enjoy life. I mean, don't work to the point where you're not enjoying your life, but also realize that if you're if you're taking too much time off, that there's going to be people in the world that are going to be up your butt, a lot more motivated you, a lot more, you know, working harder. And in European countries and in China and everywhere else, they're not about play right now. Well, yeah. Europe is a lighter workload. Well, that's because they have their siestas and yes. everything else. And yes. France, God forbid you call somebody on the weekend. Or, or you know? Friday, right. uh, Friday at all, really. Right. Yeah, no, it's true. But, <laughs> yeah. There, but there are always people yes. within whatever you're doing that will be hungrier than you. Yeah. And that's fine. As long as you don't say, why didn't I get this position or why didn't I do this? Well, maybe the person that says, listen, I'm not as I'm not as worried about the work, you know, life balance. I want more X. And you have to respect both sides. What about what about the flip side of that? What about somebody that is doing too much? Too much is how do you define too much? But they're doing so much at a, at a young age and they don't have any time for a relationship. They leave the girlfriend. I, I think they're missing out. The most important thing. The hustle culture. Yeah, the hustle culture. You know, listen, as I said, I've seen, I've been experienced a lot of death. Yeah. And I don't know one of those people that was thinking just before they died how much money they had. You know, I mean, I, I remember I said to somebody once, you know, I was going to take my friend's boat around Long Island. He was taking the boat out. And he goes, but you're going to miss the day of trading. I said, well, I realized that after 9-11, if I get the chance to do something that I've never done, I'm going to do it. So I come in the next day and I'm like, how was it? I go, oh, it was amazing. I also learned something. If I get the chance to do something I've already done, but I really want to do it, I'm going to do it. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know what? I have over time made a lot of money. I've spent a lot of money, made a lot of money. But the key thing to me is the relationships that I have with people. And that is becoming a lost art, you mm -hmm. know, to truly having intimate, and I don't mean on a sexual basis, I mean, just no, business, friendship, business, peers. friendship, peerhood. But, but COVID screwed all that up. COVID Zoom. killed it. But the yeah. question is, how do we get that back? Yeah. You know, the problem that we have now is that when I closed the trading floor, I was, well, I made a speech the day we finally closed the trading floor for good. And I got up there and I said, remember, we were the ones that ripped each other apart face to face. You know, we had a policing committee called the floor, the floor committee. And it was a $5,000 fine and a two-day suspension if you hit somebody. And some it's like people- It's like hockey. You know, some people did the math and they're like, hey, yeah. I need the time off and I'm, I'm gonna get this guy. Like there was, one, there was one fight that I had that I just meet this guy for the board. And I, he, was a, he was an ex-linebacker of Penn State. And I pushed him this way to get to a trail. Went, Bam! And I looked down and he had fallen three steps and hit his head against the rail. And it's a big guy. He comes up and he is bright red and he is ripping me apart. He's calling me every, and they got two guys holding him back. And they got two guys holding me back and I'm ripping him apart. He's ripping me apart because I'm like, I say to the guy next to me, go, whatever you do, don't let me go. Yeah, yeah. You know? right. And he's like, why? Because if I get close, he's going to freaking kill yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You know? So <laughs> we end up getting thrown off the trading floor. We got a $2,000 fine, right? And, but by the time we hit the doors of the trading floor, he looks at me and goes, where do you want to go for lunch? I'm like, I don't know. And we just hung out all day because we could have these rip roaring fights down there and not take it personally. And at, when the fight was over, it was over, you know, and it was awesome. And that's what I taught in my classes too. Like you can have differences. You don't have to be so polar opposite that you need to hate each other. You can respect the fact that I don't agree with you on any level, 
but you're, which is actually a super healthy relationship which to have. Which is a super healthy yeah. relationship. This whole bit about one side or the other on any topic, whether it be religion or politics or, you know, the Nets versus the Knicks or whatever. It's like we've come down to a world now where people got mean during COVID mm -hmm. because they got behind the keyboards of social media and everyone's a big shot behind the keyboard. And that's what I was saying about when we closed the trading floor. When I ripped somebody apart, if somebody came at me, I don't think they were ever worried about me hitting them, <laughs> but <laughs> I was really worried about like this one guy that everybody was always getting. And he and I was a new trader in the ring, and he comes up and he gets right in my face. He does this whole Fu Manchu thing. Yeah. And again, yeah, I got beat up a lot. So, you know, and he goes, and I'm like, you know what, Neil? You're going to hit me, do it now. You know? And he looks at me, just looks at me and goes, you know? He goes, you're okay. It just walks away. And nobody ever messed with me again after that, you know? So, you know, but that's, but that's important. I love that. Um, if you were going to give some, some closing wisdom to, to the audience, I know you've given a lot, but what are some, what are some sort of takeaways or actually even outside of that, what are things that we didn't go into? Cause we went into a lot. Yeah. But I, th I think some of the things that we, the closing advice that I would give is that every day is a good day. Period. A bad day is when you don't come home or someone you love didn't come home and didn't make it through the day. And if you can realize that every day is a good day, find something out of it. You know, I remember the best advice I got was a friend of mine who was going through uh, the 12 steps. And I brought him in to share my office and we were sharing an office. And I remember at 10 o'clock in the morning, I go, oh, this day sucks. And he ripped me apart. And he goes, what do you mean the day sucks? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. You've written off the whole day? And I'm like, well, he goes, maybe 11 o'clock things are going to be better. Maybe <laughs> 1 o'clock things will be better. He goes, David, I take life one day at a time right now. He goes, you can't take it one hour at a time? And you know what? There were two things to that. One, it was a great thing. But what we're happening now is that people are too afraid to tell friends the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, and that is a problem. If you really love somebody and you're really there for somebody and you really care, don't be too afraid to tell them the truth because that's what it's all about. And be there. And, and, and the one takeaway that I've learned through all this business and the money that I've made and the relationships that I've made is that at the end of the day, a good relationship is better than a good dollar. Amen. Amen. Where should people go? Like, where do you want to send people? Um, social, website? Yeah, so social media. Um, on Instagram, I'm David Douglas Greenberg. Okay. D-O-D-O. Well, Douglas and Greenberg. <laughs> um, and then David Douglas Greenberg is the website. Okay. You know, that's uh, my strategic advising website or Greenberg Capital. Um, and then, um, so, and let's see. And then Twitter, which I don't really use often, is Greenberg Cap, G R E. We're going to get your socials back yeah. up and go. <laughs> so, yeah, so happy, so happy yeah. to do all that. But the key thing is, is that, you know, if you're looking for someone um, to really sit down with you. Yeah, that's actually a good point. So, like, really yeah. highlight. So, somebody wants to reach out to you. What right. should they be asking you to do for them? What do you do? You sit on boards? You advise well, sit, your companies? You no, know, I sit on boards and I yeah. advise companies. But also on the coaching end, yeah. you know, I coach some pretty powerful people that need somebody that's not just going to say yes all the time. Okay. You know, that's Which not, is everyone, by the way. But, right. yeah. You know, I mean, if, somebody's look, if someone's looking for someone who will say it like it is, you know, that, I mean, listen, I can motivate anybody to get to the next level. Um, but the key thing is you have to be honest with yourself. And it's not about the rah-rah. It's about, okay, let's get this grit. Let's get it done. It's going to be tough. And when you get your teeth knocked out, I'm going to be there for you, getting you back up yeah. and moving to the next level. Because those are the people that make it. 
you know, and I've seen so many of these coaches out there and it's just about the rah-rah and the this and, oh, take this format and read my book. I don't have a book. I wrote a book. It sucked. I didn't, I, I didn't put it out there. Okay. But I was honest enough to say this, this sucks. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I'm the way that I coach is just, it's grit. It's there. It's truth. And it's like, let's just, let's just get this stuff done. Um, last question. I ask everyone, you've had multiple seasons to your life, a lot of success. Uh, at this point in your life, how do you define success? What does it mean to you? How do I define success at this time in my life? Success is making a difference in people's lives, period. Whether it be my friends' lives, my family's lives, the charity work I do, as I said, I sit on the, um, you know, as a strategic advisor for the Panthers, I sit on a lot of boards. So I sit on the Junior Achievement Boards. I sit on the United Negro College Leadership Board. I sit on the Fort Lauderdale Film Festival Board, the Riverwalk Board, all these things, but I'm doing it Never about the ego. I could care about that. But how many people's lives can I change? And there's a great scene in one of the Batman movies where the Flash was with them. And they go, he goes, in the Flash, he goes, okay, and Batman's like, I need your help. And the Flash goes, no, no, I was just here to hang out with the guys. Yeah. And he goes, go over there and save one of them. And all of a sudden, the Flash goes and saves one of them. And then he goes, oh. And then Batman goes, okay, go, go do another one. And he goes back and goes back. And then the Flash goes, Oh, and then he gets it. He gets how good it felt by being productive and to help somebody. And once you get that feeling under your belt and you realize what a rush it is to have some kid, you know, because everybody can mentor. You know, don't give me this crap. I haven't done enough. I haven't done this. Everybody, sorry, everybody, everybody can mentor somebody. Mm -hmm. And if people take the time out to get out of their own head once in a while and realize that they can mentor other people, not only will they feel good about it, but they're going to learn enough about themselves and they're going to be better at business by learning about what they are now telling the next generation. Because, you know, we have a next generation of future leaders um, that will lead this country. And it is our job to get the message across of how to succeed with grit, being tough, maybe being not so sensitive because the world doesn't care. The rest of the world's not going to care if your feelings are hurt and how to get stuff done.